Anybody? Just a couple? A few? While they're doing that, let's, let's pray as we begin this morning. Father, we, we come before you, and uh, man, we're, we're thankful for the privilege of being able to assemble in your name, and that we can come together, a group of like-minded believers, and, and, and we can worship you, God. I pray that's what that I pray that you would uh, be receiving that worship in, in spirit and in truth. I pray, God, that as we've worshipped you through singing, God, I, we want that worship to continue through our time of preaching. I ask that you would prepare the hearts in this room for the truth that they're going to hear this morning, and I pray that you would help me to get out of the way so that you can do what only you can do in this place. God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for dying for us. And every day is a day to celebrate in light of that. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Man, it's good to see everybody this morning. I'm glad that you're here. I'm excited about what the Lord has for us. Last week we, we spent the entire message studying 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. And and, and what we saw last week was that according to this verse, uh, verse 13 of chapter 2, is that God will do an effectual and a fruitful work in our lives when we approach it as it is in truth, the word of God and not the word of men. When we approach it that way, as the word of God, as we approach it having faith, and as we approach it, believing that the Bible is actually God's word, when we, when we open it up, there will be a result. There will be an effectual result. There will be fruit. And, and, and we looked at a couple things that must be true of the Bible if we're to approach it as God's word. Just like the incarnate word, the written word has to be perfect or inerrant, and it has to be eternal or preserved perfection and eternality They're, those are essential qualities of god and in error in existing temporarily those are qualities that we possess those are qualities of, of man so if the word is coming from god it's got to be perfect and it's and it has to be eternal and i won't be able to to recreate all of that this morning so if you missed it feel free to go back and listen. But as we begin this morning, I, I want to remind us of something that we learned a month or two ago, now it's been. And, and what we learned was that the, the Thessalonians, they followed Paul, Silas, and Timothy as they followed Christ. And, and Paul brings up the fact that the Thessalonians follow, the Thessalonians following them, that was especially connected to responding to persecution and their perspective on that persecution that they were receiving. And then as the Thessalonians, as they followed Paul, Silas, and Timothy's lead, what actually happened in that process is, is that they then became the ones that were the leaders we, we learned that when we studied 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And, and this is what it says. And ye became followers of us, that's the Thessalonians following Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction 
with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples or examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. The, okay, the church of the Thessalonians, they, they followed Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and then they then became leaders. Listen, y'all, that's what discipleship looks like. You follow someone first, and eventually you become a leader after that. And, and, and what we find as we continue making our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians is that the church of the Thessalonians, interestingly enough, they weren't just followers of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, but they were actually followers of other churches. They, were, they followed other churches. In, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14 is where, we'll, is where we'll pick up this morning. And, it, and here's what it says. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. Okay, the, the church of the Thessalonians, they were, they were following the churches of Judea. You see, this thing of following can kind of get a, it kind of gets a little bit of a bad rap. Be a leader, don't be a follower, right? And we, and we teach our kids that, and, and of course that is a good thing, and that's, that's true, but, but biblically, in order to be a leader, you first have to be a follower. Now, you're not supposed to stay a follower, you're supposed to ultimately become a leader, so... So telling someone to be a leader and, and don't be a follower, it can almost be like saying to a two-year-old, be an adult, don't be a child. And they're kind of looking at you like, yeah, that is the direction that I'm heading in there, buddy, but in order to get there, it first necessitates that I be a child. It's the same thing with leading. Yes, being a leader and not of a follower is the direction that you want to be heading in your life, but biblically it first requires that we follow. And we, 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 could, you know, we, we could call it the, the crawling stage, right? You, you can't walk before you crawl, and there's nothing wrong with crawling. It's actually a beautiful thing. It's one of my favorite times. I wished it lasts longer in my kid's life. It's, I love it. It's adorable. I, I, but there's nothing wrong with crawling and there's nothing wrong with following, but there's just something wrong if you do it forever. That, that's, that's where there's something wrong. But, but you see, we tend to want to resist following because following takes something that is in short supply these days. It takes humility. And, and without having the humility it takes to follow, do you know that God is actually pushing back? against you in the midst of that it, james chapter 4 in verse 6 it says wherefore he saith god resisteth the proud god's literally he's giving you the stiff arm he's giving you the heisman right he's he's hitting you with it he, that's what he's that's what he's giving to you he is pushing back against you but he gives grace unto the humble, unless we learn to have the humility to follow, we are going to short-circuit our spiritual development. But, but the key to following that we, that we need to keep in mind is, is, is who we're following. 
right? There's nothing wrong with following as long as you're following the right person or people. We need to follow them as they follow Christ. That's what 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 taught us in this study. If they're not following Christ, then they're not the ones to follow. And it goes the same way when you're following churches. They, they didn't just follow any church that called themselves a church. Look at, look at verse 14 again with me of, of 1 Thessalonians 2. It says that they became followers of the churches, which ones? Of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. So they became followers of the churches that were in Judea, but those churches were of God and they were in Christ Jesus. That's, and that's letter, that's letter A on your study sheet. Churches that were of God and in Christ Jesus. Listen, these churches that they were following they were the real deal. These churches, they were comprised of people that were true believers in Jesus Christ who had called on the name of the Lord to save them. And as a result, they were of God and they were in Christ. Not every church that goes by the name church can say that. Please understand, again, Satan is hiding in the church. He doesn't need to hide in the bars and clubs, y'all. He's already got them where he wants them. He's hiding in the church, and he's, he's trying to twist the scriptures and the doctrine of salvation to deceive people into going to hell, all the while hanging on to a Bible verse all the way down. I mean, think, think about it. You know why counterfeit money works? Because it looks so close to the real thing. Satan's no dummy, guys. He's been around for a long time, and he's smarter than we are. From the beginning, he's been twisting God's word. He's been trying to get us to question it. And then he'll use teachings and doctrines that look so much like the real thing. They're just a little bit different. And just like with counterfeit money, that... Small change actually changes everything, doesn't it? And when you see that and you understand that, it's not hard to see that, that not every church that has the name church on the outside of it is the church that's of God and in Christ. So it was important that the church of the Thessalonians followed, but that they didn't just follow anyone and they didn't just follow any church. They followed Paul, Silas, and Timothy as they followed Christ. And they followed the churches of Judea that were of God and in Christ. It, man, at this church, we try to do the same thing. We've, we've gleaned countless things from other, from other churches, whether it be how to navigate a particular challenging situation, the discipleship lessons that we use, evangelism strategies, all kinds of things like that. And then you know what? We've also influenced a bunch of other churches in similar ways and hopefully we can continue doing that but that thing right there that's a that's a healthy thing and it's how god designed it to be and, and, and it's exactly what the church of the thessalonians did so they followed churches but not just any churches churches of god and in christ and in the in the church of the thessalonians also followed the churches of judea in the midst of persecution let her be in the midst of persecution they followed them. It, it, was, it was important that they followed the right churches. But in this case specifically, the church of the Thessalonians, they had been 
through persecution, and so had the churches of Judea. They could kind of vibe together on that thing. And, and so because of that, the church of the Thessalonians, they were, they were able to follow the churches of Judea's lead, especially in regards to the persecution that they had suffered. And, 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 and here's the kind of persecution that we're talking about. Here's the kind of people we're dealing with. 1 Thessalonians 2.14. This is our, our passage for study. Here's, here's the kind of people that we're dealing with, but, but start with, with me in verse 14. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. And what kind of things were those that, were those that persecuted the churches of Judea? What kind of things were those guys involved in? Verse 15, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. They've persecuted us. They please not God, and they're contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Listen, the type of persecution that we're talking about here isn't the type of persecution that we may be thinking of living in the day and age that we're living in. Now, nowadays, we think that we're being persecuted if somebody unfriends us on Facebook. <laughs> or unfollows us on Twitter, whatever. You know, whatever. We, we think we're being persecuted when someone says something bad about us behind our back. And listen, I'm not saying that that's not a mild form of persecution, but I'm saying that the churches of Judea were being persecuted by Jewish folks who had a rap sheet that included killing Jesus, killing their own prophets, persecuting Paul, Silas, and Timothy, not pleasing God, being contrary to all men, or being opposition to basically everybody. And last but not least, they're trying to keep the Gentiles from even hearing the word of God, so that they can be saved. So again, this is a far cry from probably anything that anybody in this room has ever experienced. When persecution came then, you knew physical harm was a possibility and even death. And I know that by God's grace, we have had it, we have had it good, y'all, haven't we? We have had it good for so long, but but try to imagine putting yourselves in their shoes for just a second. That was some scary stuff. It, it, now, it, as I was studying this, I, I couldn't help but think, man, this persecution stuff keeps coming up a lot in this book. In Man, we're, we're, it's, we're less than two chapters in to the book. This is the third time in less than two chapters that persecution has come up. And there's another time coming up again at the beginning of the next chapter. And, and many of you will remember how we've talked in previous weeks about the fact that the book of, the, of 1 Thessalonians is in our Bible to prepare us for the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord, it comes up near the end of every single chapter in this book. And we've talked about the fact that if it's as late as on God's calendar as we think that it is, this book of 1 Thessalonians has a really special application for those of us living at this moment 
because we could be the group that's actually on the planet for the coming of the Lord when he comes and meets us in the sky at the rapture. So I can't help but scratch my head and wonder if maybe God doesn't just keep bringing up persecution in a book written to prepare us for the Lord's coming because by the time it's all said and done, we might actually see real persecution. Listen, we'll be out of here for all the craziness of the tribulation. Don't worry about that. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about real persecution. You know, the type that's been going on all through the centuries, the type that still goes on in other countries right now. Persecution where physical and bodily harm and jail time is on the table. Because regardless of whether or not we experience or it or not, God wants us to be prepared for it. You say, you're scaring me this morning. <laughs> I'm not trying to scare you, I'm trying to prepare you. Because I don't know if that will ever become our reality or not. But I do know that whether it does or whether it doesn't, God wants us to be willing and ready to go through it if it ever does, just like all the brothers and sisters that went on before us. And he wants us to follow the examples that are laid out for us in the Bible of those who have been through the exact same things. Listen, the Christianity of our culture that we have become accustomed to where people are upset at music and when the room is too cold and it was a little hot in here earlier, so I'm not saying that's not for real. You could maybe even use another degree. No, I'm just kidding. With the music, it's good, I'm kidding. The <laughs> when the preacher get mad when the preacher is too dogmatic and where the most important thing on Sunday is where we're eating after church. The church of the Thessalonians and the churches of the of churches of Judea and countless churches through the centuries, they don't even have a file for that nonsense. We've had it so good that while churches through the centuries wondered if they'd be beaten and killed for their faith, our only concern is will we beat the church rush to Cracker Barrel? <laughs> Which if you got to go somewhere, that's not a bad spot. And I, and I say that, be, that because this isn't some, I, I say all that to say this, this idea of persecution is not some sort of rare, crazy thing. The rare and crazy thing is that we live in a place and in a time in history where we haven't experienced it yet. That's the rare and crazy thing. Do you realize that? And if we, do, if we do experience it, I'm responsible to make sure you're ready. And I, I think God wants us to be ready, or, or he wouldn't keep bringing up this thing of persecution. So it's important that we learn to apply and apply to our lives what it was exactly that the church of the Thessalonians learned as they followed the churches of Judea. So they learned about persecution. We understand that. But let's look at some other things they learned. What they learned from the churches in Judea what they learned from the churches in Judea. So all we know about the churches in Judea, in the verses that we're actually studying this morning in 1 Thessalonians, all we know is, is that similarly to the, churches, to the church of the Thessalonians, the churches of Judea had experienced persecution. That's what we know. 
And we know that the churches of the Thessalonians, they followed those churches of Judea as they navigated the persecution that they were receiving. But what else do we know about the churches of Judea that they could have possibly gleaned from them as we compare Scripture with Scripture? I believe we glean something from the book of Acts that kind of sheds more light on what it was exactly that the church of the Thessalonians learned as they followed the churches of Judea. And we find that in Acts chapter 9 in verse 31. Now, as we, before we read this verse, let me set the context of this verse for just a second. In the, in the previous verses before verse 31, we, we, what we find is that Saul, who would ultimately be, his name would ultimately be changed to Paul, and who is, of course, one of the authors of 1 Thessalonians and the author of almost half of the New Testament, he was, he was the main one persecuting the churches of Judea at this time. So ironically enough, as Paul is writing 1 Thessalonians and referencing the fact that the church of the Thessalonians followed the lead of the churches of Judea, especially concerning their response to persecution, that persecution he's referencing was actually coming at least in part from him. And the verses that we're about to read is in response to hearing that Saul or, or Paul had gotten saved and, and he had been converted after experiencing extreme persecution. That's what this is in response to. The verses that we're going to read is in response to hearing that Saul or Paul had gotten saved and been converted after experiencing extreme persecution. And now as a result of that con- now as a result of his conversion, the persecution has subsided. Okay, so here's what Acts, thir- Acts 9, 31 then tells us. As a result of Paul's conversion, the persecution has now subsided. And here's what verse 31 says. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea. So here's the reference to the churches of Judea right here. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. So so here's what the church of the Thessalonians was able to learn as they followed the churches of Judea. This passage gives us some insight on what they learned from them. They learned about coming out on the other side of persecution and they found rest. They learned about finding rest. You can imagine it if you had been in the midst of this type of persecution where there's physical violence, you're getting chased out of town, and you fear for your life, you can imagine that you would be in desperate desire of some rest. Somehow, you'd be looking for that light at the end of the tunnel. You'd be looking for that rest and that peace from all that spiritual warfare that you've been going through. In the church of the Thessalonians, they were able to follow the churches of Judea And they could see and have hope that rest was coming. Psalm 37, 7 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices. 
to pass? Listen, there was a season where what this verse says was going on. There were those that were prospering and accomplishing, bringing about wicked devices or bringing persecution upon the churches of Judea and the church of the Thessalonians. And under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David says, listen, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. That season is eventually going to end. And by watching those churches of Judea, by watching them find that rest, the church of the Thessalonians, they were able to watch them follow their lead and have that hope, knowing that they would ultimately find rest. Now, does that mean that there was never another season of persecution and spiritual warfare? No, but they understood that Ecclesiastes 3.1 teaches us that to everything there is a season. And the Thessalonians were able to learn from those churches of Judea, and they were able to hope for that rest. And I understand that, that for us individually, we're, we're not always dealing with that exact type of persecution, but sometimes it feels like the circumstances of our lives are persecution enough, and we don't need any help from the lost world in that. But this same principle applies. There are seasons of our lives that we're on the mountaintops. There are seasons in the valleys. And there is no human that has ever lived on this planet, no matter how good life has been, no matter how good their life looked, no matter how much money, there's nobody who has ever escaped the seasons of life that are the valleys. Some valleys are lower than others. But God wants us to have hope that there will be rest. And listen, there will be varying degrees of rest that we ultimately get through the seasons of our lives. But now, from a prophetic application or from a future standpoint, there is only one true rest. And, 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 and looking toward that rest is actually what gives us the ultimate hope. Not just the hope of our circumstances ending temporarily, but the hope of our circumstances ending eternally and it all being worth it at the end. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16 describes this in such an incredible way. Would you listen to it? For which cause we faint not... But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen, those are eternal. You see, the affliction is, it's but for a moment. But, but the eternal glory and the eternal reward is forever. And that's the rest that we're ultimately looking for. We're looking for that eternal rest. It's that rest we're hoping for that makes all temporary persecutions and circumstances of our lives that we endure, it makes it all worth it. As we look to the day where that's all behind us, and we enter into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But not only did, did the church of the Thessalonians learn about rest from the churches of Judea, they also learned about edification. The churches of Judea, they came out on the other side of their persecution edified. They came out on the other side of their persecution edified. And back to our verse in Acts 9, 31. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. As the church of the Thessalonians, as they were following the churches of Judea, what they learned was that even though they were walking through all kinds of persecution, they would ultimately be edified. They would be edified or they would be built up. They would be encouraged. They would be strengthened. They would be refined. Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 10 says, Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. How? I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. You see, the church of the Thessalonians knew how to handle the furnace of affliction, the persecution or the trials, because they watched the churches of Judea be refined and edified and built up in the process. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 16, Moses says to the Israelites, that, that God fed them in the wilderness with manna, and, and that's far less desirable than the food they would have liked to have been eating. In the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee. Why? To do thee good at thy latter end. You see, they went through the trials because of the good that was waiting for them, at the end. And that's how it was for the church of the Thessalonians and the churches of Judea. And that's how it is for us. We go through persecution. We go through trials and tribulations. And we can endure because of the good that's waiting for us at the end. And, and one of the things that's waiting for us at the end is our edification. It, 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 it happens so that we come through, that we come through built up so that we come through stronger as a result of having gone through it. The church of the Thessalonians, they were able to look to the churches of Judea and learn as they followed them and apply that to their lives. And God wants this church to do the same thing. Something else that Acts chapter 9 teaches us that the church of the Thessalonians would have learned from the churches of Judea is how to walk in the fear of the Lord. Walking they could come out on the other side of persecution. They could come out walking in the fear of the Lord. After Saul stopped his persecution of the churches, this verse we've been cross-referencing, Acts 9.31, it says that the, the churches had rest throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. They were edified, and they were walking in the fear of the Lord. Okay, so they came out on the other side of this persecution, and and, 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 the, and out on the other side of these trials and tribulations, and they came out walking in the fear of the Lord. And you say, well, the fact that they had rest makes sense, and the, and the fact that they were edified makes sense, but, but what's up with the walking in the fear of the Lord part? I don't, I, I, don't, I don't get it. What does that have to do with persecutions and trials and tribulations? Well, 
first, in order to answer that, we need to understand what the fear of the Lord actually is. We need to understand what the fear of the Lord actually actually is. And it's really not that hard to understand because do you know what fear means? It means fear. <laughs> so there's that. So we're headed in the right direction. See, many, uh, many want to describe the fear of the Lord as simply reverence or respect. And I agree that that is part of it, but to limit it to that is to take away from the meaning, which is why God used the word fear and not reverence or respect. There is a healthy fear that we should have of God. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, Jesus says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We should have a very healthy fear of the one who has the power to do that. That healthy fear, according to Proverbs 16, 6, it, it causes people to depart from evil. It, the fear of the Lord causes you to get away from that evil. You, you depart from it. You know why? Because you understand who God is and you understand how holy God is. And you understand there are consequences for your actions and you understand how powerful and you understand how strong he is and you stay away from evil and you depart from evil. But here's another way that the fear of the Lord works according to Proverbs 14 verse 26. Check this out. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence and his children shall have a place of refuge. As strange as it sounds, there's strong confidence in the fear of the Lord. You see, in the same way that when you fear the Lord, you understand his power and you understand his strength and you depart from evil, this is the same idea, it's just manifesting itself a different way. Because when you fear the Lord and you understand the power and strength of the Lord, you also understand that in Him you can have strong confidence and you can have a place of refuge. You see, the churches of Judea walked in the fear of the Lord because despite the persecution that they were enduring, they understood the strength and power of the Lord that they were following. And they were able to have strong confidence and a a place of refuge despite all that they were going through. The same fear that makes you depart from evil is the same fear that gives you strong confidence and a place of refuge because you understand the almighty, the all-powerful God is with you. And God wants to teach us to walk in the fear of the Lord no matter what is going on in our lives. If you're being persecuted if trials and tribulations are at every stinking turn walk in the fear of the lord knowing who is in control of those circumstances knowing and understanding the power of the creator and when we do that listen you find strong confidence and refuge in the face of any circumstances that come your way so, so from following the churches of Judea, the, the church of the Thessalonians learned that even in the midst of persecution, they learned how to find rest. They learned how to be edified. They learned 
to walk in the fear of the Lord, and they also learned they could come out of the other side of persecution, letter D, with comfort. They could come out on the other side of persecution with comfort. That's what Acts 9.31 says. It says they were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. They, They were comforted in the Holy Ghost. That's one of the things that the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit does. And in fact, that's exactly what Jesus calls him in John 14 and verse 16. He says, I will, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another, what's that word? Comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even, who is it? The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. The Holy Spirit is our comfort. He's the comforter and he dwells in us. And man, what an incredible thought that that no matter what's going on around us, we can have comfort because there's comfort to be found in the Holy Spirit of God that lives on the inside of us, in the midst of the storm, we can find comfort. We're not just just having worry and subjected to fear. We're able to have comfort, and God wants to give that to us. Isn't that a wonderful thing? But, but, But listen, He doesn't just want to give it to us so that we can have what we need and stuff that comfort in our pocket. And we can move on. Woo! Thank you, Lord. No, that's too short-sighted for how God wants to use that comfort. Because 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3 teaches us something about His comfort. It says, Paul says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us when? In all our tribulation. Isn't that wonderful? Next, why does he do that? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. God wants us to comfort others that are also in tribulation and having trouble in their lives and comfort them the same way that we received that comfort when we needed it. And we encourage them towards that comfort that only comes from God. The the church of the Thessalonians, they were able to learn that as they followed the churches of Judea and they watched them be comforted despite their persecutions. And God wants the same thing in our lives. He wants us to receive that comfort that only comes from Him. and, and, And He desires for us to have it no matter what we're going through. But But he says, man, don't just take that comfort that I've given you and stuff that thing in your pocket and go on down the road. Woo, don't I feel better now? God showed up for me and gave me comfort in the midst of the storm, and now I'm on down the road. No, he wants us to share that with others so that they can receive comfort as well. And and not only did the churches of the Thessalonians learn how to be comforted from following the churches of Judea, they also learned that in the midst of persecution, they could come out of the other side multiplied. They could come out on the other side of persecution multiplied. 
Acts 9.31, it says, And in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied in the midst of that thing. You know what happened? After the churches of Judea came out on the other side of the persecution that they received, they multiplied. They, they grew exponentially. This is, this is only a, a one, one of a handful of places that this thing of multiplication is mentioned in the Bible. There are, there are four chapters in the book of Acts that reference multiplication. This is obviously one of them. One of the times is referencing a time back in Egypt, and the other places are in reference to the work that God was doing in growing the church. And as I look at these places and where God grew the church, I can't help but notice a pattern. In Acts 9.31, that we've been cross-referencing with 1 Thessalonians this morning, it says that the churches of Judea, they were, they were multiplied, and that happened after Saul got saved, and they come out of that storm of persecution for a season. They come out of that persecution, and we see multiplication. One of the other two places where multiplication comes up in the book of Acts is Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, Okay, so, so listen, the number of the disciples was multiplied, but do you know what had just happened in the previous chapter? Peter and the apostles, they had suffered persecution and they'd been thrown in jail, and the angel of the Lord shows up, opens the doors of the jail, lets them out. That persecution ends for a season, and then the number of the disciples multiplies. The other time is Acts chapter 12 and verse 24. It says, but the word of God grew and multiplied. And you know what had just happened right before that? King Herod had just killed James, the brother of John, and he'd thrown Peter in jail. He's back. And Peter, is he's asleep, and he's chained between two soldiers, and the angel of the Lord shows up again, and he sets him free. It was so crazy that Paul says, I wasn't sure if I was dreaming or not. And, and, he, and he gets out of jail, and on the other side of that season of persecution, God's word multiplies again. And, and I think what God is trying to teach us in all of these different instances of persecution leading to multiplication is that God is wanting to ultimately bring us out of the persecution and the trials and tribulations that we endure because in the midst of it, he's using it in our lives, and he's using it in others' lives. And on the other side of it, he wants to do something through us exponentially. He doesn't just want to use it. He just doesn't want to use all that we've been through to add to the kingdom. He wants to use all we've been through to multiply the kingdom. Listen, here, here's what the church of the Thessalonians learned from the churches of Judea, and God wants us to learn too. Even if the season of our life is filled with persecution, trials, and tribulations, we can find rest despite our circumstances. We can be edified and built up and strengthened despite our circumstances. We can walk in the fear of the Lord despite our circumstances because we understand the power and the strength 
of the one who fights our battles for us. We can experience comfort from the comforter in our lives, and then we can show others then how we found that comfort in Christ despite our circumstances. And if all that wasn't incredible enough, God wants to multiply the work that he's doing through our lives as a result of our circumstances. This is what the church of the Thessalonians learned from the churches of Judea as they followed those churches. This is the pattern of discipleship. People leading people, churches leading churches, and the pattern ends in multiplication. You reach two, and then those two reach two, and then each of those six reach two, and you play that out just a little bit, and I know you've all seen it before, you play that out just a little bit, and holy smokes, multiplication is a crazy thing. It just adds up real quick, and that's how God designed discipleship to be. The church of the Thessalonians and the churches of Judea, they, they went through similar types of persecution, and, and the Thessalonians, they learned a lot from them. In the verses that we're studying in 1 Thessalonians, it describes the behavior of those that persecuted the churches of Judea. And we saw this earlier. They, they killed Jesus and the prophets. And Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they, they continue describing these horrible persecutions they'd committed. And then they begin to describe something else. Then they begin to describe God's wrath. They begin to describe God's wrath as a result of these persecutions that he's describing in 1 Thessalonians. And, and, and his wrath as a result of these sinful acts. And, and so what I, I want us to understand next is number three, understanding God's wrath. I want us to, to read the verses that we're studying again so that you can see what I'm talking about. Pick up with me again in verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're back in 1 Thessalonians 2. For ye brethren became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. They've persecuted us, they please not God, and they're contrary to all men forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. And here's what I want you to see. Listen. To fill up their sins always, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. This, this filling up of their sins, is a, it's actually a concept that we see a couple different times in the Bible. It it, it's like, you can, you can picture it, it's like sins are, are filling up in a cup as the generations of people continue involving themselves in wicked behavior. This filling up of a cup, we could, we could even compare it to, a, to an hourglass. It, it's, it's, it's as if the sand in the hourglass is wickedness and sinfulness, and it's, it's pouring from the top to the bottom until the sand has run out and the bottom is full. It's filled up. And when it gets filled up, it's time to turn it upside down. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to do when it's filled up and his wrath is unleashed. He's going to turn things upside down when the sins have filled that hourglass. 
And just like the top part of the hourglass is out of sand, the world is going to be out of time. And just like the bottom part of the hourglass is full of sand, the world's sin will be full. Which means it's time to turn it all upside down. And that's where God's wrath comes into play. We find this same idea in Genesis 15 and verse 16. Genesis 15 in verse 16, but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again. Why? For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. You see that? You see, the iniquity and the sin is filling up. It's filling up each, with each passing day, and in this case it wasn't quite full. Look at Matthew chapter 23 and verse 29. Look at what Jesus, look at what Jesus says. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Jesus is saying, if you would have been there, you'd have done the same thing too. And here, and here it is again, verse 32. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. Jesus is talking about this whole idea of these sins filling up the cup or filling up an hourglass like we were just seeing. And he says, you guys go ahead and keep killing them just like your fathers did. Go ahead and keep filling up that cup. Verse 33, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye even escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel under the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation." God's wrath is what is coming on this generation. His vengeance, his righteous indignation is what's coming. And these verses are talking about the same thing our passage is talking about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 16. All of these horrible things have been done all through the generations and the sin has almost filled up the hourglass and God's wrath is filling up at the same time too. 1 Thessalonians 2, 14 through 16, it's teaching us that, that listen, we're to follow other churches and, and, and that are of God and in Christ, just like the Thessalonians did when they followed the churches of Judea. And we saw all that we can learn from the churches of Judea and how, 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 how God can use persecution, trials, and tribulations in our lives. And now we're talking about, listen, now we're talking about the wrath that will ultimately come upon these unbelievers for their sin and for their rejection of Jesus Christ. But here's what I want to make sure that we see from the passage in Matthew that's on the screen. In Matthew 23 and verse 33, 
Jesus asks how a group like this can even escape the damnation of hell. And, and Jesus actually tells them in the next verse how they can do that. They, they needed to listen to him and the prophets and the wise men and the scribes. And check this out. Because Jesus is omniscient, or because he's all-knowing, he tells them in verse 34 that they're going to persecute him. Listen, they're going to scourge. They're going to kill those that he sends them. But because he's love and because he's just, listen, he sends them to him anyway. Because Jesus is about to show us his heart in the next verse after we just stopped reading. Here, here's what Jesus says in verse 37 of Matthew 23. This is, yeah, this is, it's the next verse in line. It's a separate screen. It's the next verse. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would have I gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Jesus says, oh, why don't you come to me? Despite everything that you've done, I want to gather you up under my wings. I want you to be my children, but you won't. God doesn't want to bring his wrath on them. Do you see that? He wanted to bring them to himself, but he gave them the opportunity and they refused it. God's love and grace, y'all, is the most beautiful thing on this planet. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. God wants you in his family. If, if there's anyone here who's never called upon the name of the Lord to save him, my goodness, I pray that today is the day. But this is how Jesus felt about the people that were responsible for all of those heinous acts. All of these persecutions that they inflicted on his servants. So here's the challenge I want to pose to us this morning. Can we follow the example of the churches of Judea like the church of the Thessalonians did and see it through the lens of all that God was trying to do in our lives and trying to teach us? Can we look at it through that perspective? And can our heart be toward anyone who has inflicted persecution or who's been at the root of our trials and tribulations in our lives, can our heart be towards them the same way that Jesus was? No, they're going to get what's coming to them, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, they might, but that's for God to decide. But right now, there's still grace that's waiting for them. Do you, do you have any grace waiting for them, too? What about unbelievers in general, they, they may not have done anything to you personally. But do you have the desire in your heart like Jesus that wants to see him be a part of God's family before it's too late? Is that your heart towards them? God didn't want to inflict his wrath on them. He wanted to scoop them up and bring them in. And they chose otherwise. Jesus, I, I thank you for for your word i thank you god that that you you don't desire for us 
to have wrath. You desire to grow us through our tribulations, God. You desire to teach us things through that, God. And you desire that the ones who put us through those trials and put us through those tribulations, you desire that they'll come to you. God, may they see a path to you through the way that we respond to them, God. The, the easy path in life is to respond in the flesh, to not forgive and to hope they get what's coming to them, God. May we approach them the way that you did, hoping, just wanting them to turn to you. That's the, that's the root of their real problem. That's the root of why they would persecute us or inflict that upon us, God. It's that, they're, that, that they don't know you, Lord. And I pray, God, that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. And we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.